0: Welcome to my podcast, In The Know, my series of interviews with amazing people doing amazing things as I travel around the world of Notel. Hello and welcome to In The Know, where I am all Sarva, the founder of Notel, to interview interesting and amazing people that I bump into as I travel the world. Today on In The Know, I have Samer from Goodco. Okay, Samer, thanks for talking to me. It's Pleasure the first here. time that we're sitting together properly without distractions, without like whatever since the deal and so i want to talk a little bit with you about why you got me involved with your amazing company goodco five years ago six years ago when was it i think yeah almost five and a half six years ago now i want to talk about what goodco is about like what mm-hmm. was the mission that you were after and what i saw in it where it's at now and the amazing demo that you just showed me and i think it's something that we're going to use in Notel. amazing and then talk about some of these like management leadership sort of quandaries and puzzles that yeah. you run into as the companies get bigger. Because for me, it's a learning process too, and something new. It always, yep.
1: So when did we meet six years ago? Six years ago, I remember I was, um, I had just been through a pretty brutal process after graduating from Techstars, thought that, oh, we're a Techstars graduate, all the VCs want to talk to us, right? And nobody told us that you can't be hyper transparent with VCs. And like, I think I had like 25, 30 VC conversations because they all want to talk to me but nobody wanna jump in the pool first. Mm-hmm. And if I like someone and I appreciated the portfolio and we, I felt that we fit, I'd be like just honest and transparent about it. Like, yo, I wanna work with you guys, this makes sense. And they'd be like, wait, what? Why do you wanna work with us? Why are you being so desperate? It took me a while because on the surface it seems like it's the right thing to do. Like a founder and a VC want the same thing, and you put them in the room together. So much to learn,
0: somewhere I know. Truth. Like now when I look
1: back, I'm like, dude, you were stupid. The truth has a time and place. Yeah, and then I'm like, well, screw it. I'm just gonna go raise an angel on and that's when we. That's that's when we met.
0: Yeah, and I guess you thought I was interesting to you a little bit because of my profile, of cognitive science, and yeah, this kind of stuff. Yeah, um, I think I
1: remember Carrie, my uh, mad co-founder, like the archetypical mad scientist. Um, and I were excited about talking to you, and I think she was on the call with us. And I think you immediately got it. Like, what we're trying to do is is um, quantify something that has previously been so, still is very esoteric. Not just a person, but when you put a group of people together, it gets even more complex.
0: And it's like quantification of human capital in some ways. Yeah, I mean, to me, it was even less abstract and businessy than that. There is a thing that has had a big impact on me, on my life in business, but also just my personal life, which is the idea that you can measure some simple things, and then come up with the vocabulary for describing the way people are different. And the one that a lot of people know is the Myers-Briggs type indicator. And the first time that thing was shown to me, I was like, wow, and so you can be this way, and also that way, and other people can, and it's okay, and there's like a vocabulary, and there's a way to deal with it. And then over the years I learned also about Ocean, which is the big five, and that's the one I use more often Mm -hmm. inside Notel. And the huge thing that I thought was so amazing is that you build something for mobile, that was a game, that gave you a really beautiful, simple, easy-to-understand, like, cartoon-like image that just sort of explained to you in great simplicity that, like, oh, you're like Margaret Thatcher and you're like John Lennon and you're like Steve Jobs and you're like Napoleon and these are all ways to be and it's fine and you guys are going to be different, but you can predict some ways that things may be a bit odd. And then when you put people together, maybe one of you is, like, a space mission and another one is, like, a family vacation and all that. That was awesome. Thank you. Um, it took a while for us to get that somewhat right. I think now we're
1: explaining to people this is playful and irreverent by design so that people can actually relate to it. Uh, we've come a long way since there, but some of the challenges still remain. But it's, it's fun. I think it should be legal to be building a business and getting paid for it and having so much fun while doing it. Um, <laughs> it, it makes it easier to
0: have um, people with foresight and champions like yourself from the early days. Yeah, I was into it. And, and I, for example, over the last few years, just even with Notel, but even before have always thought it was so obvious and so right. I have often mentioned it to folks, and you and I were just talking a couple weeks ago, and it turns out I've mentioned it often enough inside our company, Mm -hmm. that about a quarter of all the people at Notel, like close to 100 people, have taken the good co personality type, and you guys were able to grab all the data and create all these profile things, and it's hugely insightful. And we're probably one of the smaller companies you guys serve, right? Because the company got bought in the last year or two by a really big... Yeah, uh, we got bought out three years ago, which,
1: has been a really interesting and fun journey without being facetious about it we got bought out by action springer stepstone which was the largest company i would never heard of they won the number one job board in 23 countries and um, i remember the first time i met with StepStone ceo ralph in palo alto we had a bit of a mind meld and on the surface would be like very different people i'm like a brown dude from san francisco and ralph is like six foot six german dude who's been ceo of stepstone for many years and we had a bit of a mind-mom We realized we wanted the same things. And um, I think that's when we decided it needs to happen. But also, they've been invested in Goodco for the long term. And this is Stepson's bet of the future is not just going to be about hard skills, but being able to quantify soft skills and using that as a way of making uh, happier, uh, more productive workplace cultures and really tapping into people's need to not just clock in and clock out,
0: but having a common set of values between the personal and professional lives. So that's a topic that I've been working on a lot here at Notel as we get bigger to try to solve some of the kinds of problems that I run into as basically a first time manager. You know, like I've run different little teams and stuff. I've never been on the hook. For hundreds and hundreds of people, and by the end of the year, it'll be a thousand, and then it'll be bigger. I mean, I have to learn, and we have to learn as organization we are. So it's the kind of thing I've always been really interested in, and I've been advocating it internally with our people. Like, guys, we need some way to do this at scale that we can like yeah. measure and read and understand each other. We're not even, we're not there yet. But I was showing you some of the stuff we do using things like Ocean and the Big Pine, yeah. and and is that how people are using uh, your tools now to like measure and navigate people and behavioral issues, team issues? In larger companies? There is uh, two sets of users that have a lot of organic attraction to Goodco.
1: One is folks that really value culture fit but don't know what it means and don't have a, a quantifiable, uh, predictable way of using culture fit in both building teams and, and hiring people. And everyone like everyone talks about culture but it's kinda of become a bad word. Um, it's kind of become an excuse sometimes even for bias or reinforcing our biases, right? So yeah. is not a culture fit and then you end up hiring cookie cutter examples of each other. That's part of it, but we wanted to build a tool that was accessible for anyone who wants to use culture fit but giving them a common definition and a common language for it. So about half our, our customers are, represent that segment, whether it's a team of 10 people at IBM or it's a startup or a larger organization even wanting to do that. So basically it gives you diagnostic tools about how your team's working right now what role each person plays, where the areas of opportunities are, how you resolve conflict, build a better relationship with each person, basically quantifies parts of those dynamics. It's really complex, right? People are very complex. And then the other half is really that want to use GoodCo's assessments at scale, more upstream in the process. So instead of waiting for the last five candidates to take an assessment, to sometimes reinforcing the bias, like everyone who applies to a job takes GoodCo's really fun, gamified assessments in three five minutes, and then they get um, a ton of data that they can then manipulate in the Goodco Pro platform that allows them to hire for fit to whether you want to hire people that are more diligent or more creative or fit better with the manager or match high performance in a company culture. So it basically quantifies broad stroke aspects about people and dynamics and increases the confidence with which you can make
0: hiring and retention decisions. Mm. And you know we are trying to do this ourselves too, but we do it in a less systematic way, even without using that level of systematic language. And I know the world is going to need this thing that you're describing, right? Because, like, over the last few years, a bunch of other good, really good, simple managerial behaviors have turned into tools. Things like OKRs, Mm -hmm. performance reviews, all that kind of stuff. More rigid, more process-governed, then lots of data comes out, you can analyze, and then you can feedback train and stuff. But on how people behave and how they deal with each other, I haven't really seen amazing tools for that. This, to me, is the first thing that I've been seeing that's like that. What we've been doing at Notel is we've been trying to learn, like, what's the Notel type? What do we all have in common, and what are some ways that we're different, how are the departments different, yeah. what are some of the patterns of behavior that we expect to see from, let's say, the people department or the finance department? They should be really conscientious, yeah. they should be really neurotic and careful, uh-huh. but what about the sales folks? Should they be highly neurotic or should they be ready to go for it and they just don't even worry and they make the offer? Or what about the marketers? Like, Is there a level of openness to adventure and experimenting new things? Maybe that's yeah. something we need to see there. I don't know the answer at the moment, but I have started to see patterns inside our org that there are departments that sort of cluster uncertainty yeah. and I'm not like all of them. I was about to ask you that. Like Over the years, I, I imagine
1: you would have built mental models for these things and based on pattern recognition and what you've seen. What are some
0: of the most interesting things that you've seen evolve or emerge as patterns in the organization? Well, in startups in general is one of the big areas of my experience. So in early stage companies, there's a bunch of stuff that I've seen. And because I got really interested in this topic, I was starting to teach on it. In the last few years I've been teaching about it at Columbia and one of the classes that we teach. In that in that Columbia class is about personality founders and the early cohort in your company. Mm. And There's actually quite a lot of literature about one of the types, which is called the Big Five. Mm-hmm. So the Big Five is a personality test that's pretty robust in the research. Like it's uh, durable. Like mm-hmm. you can take the test a bunch of times, get the same answer. And some of the and, and meaning it's not a bogus like yeah sort of thing. It's fairly um, believable. And also there's certain aspects of 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 the Big Five, which gives you answers that are. they're almost genetic. It's like they don't change over lifetimes for certain people and it's really interesting. So it suggests it has some kind of deeper truth to it and in startup land, startup founders have a few things in common. One of them is they're very open. Yeah. They have a very high like, taste for adventure, up for a lot of crazy schemes. They walk into the room talking about one thing and you're like, hey, what about we go to Vegas? And they're like, let's go. And not everyone in every company is like that. In the early stages of a company, the craziness of a founder that a lot of people attribute is that founders are very open. And yeah. the related notion is that they have very low neuroticism. In my company, of hundreds of people at this mm-hmm. point, my rating on those two things, I am tied for the highest in openness. There's a handful of other people. There's tons of people, my number is like in the like, low 90s out of 100%. Yeah. There are people that are like 2% open. You put me in a room with someone who's 2% open, the it, meeting doesn't go well. Like it's not good for either side. It's, yeah, it's based on science. And the neuroticism thing is similar. Like there's some people that really think about all the possible ways something could go wrong. They're very careful, they're very diligent. It's an important part of their behavior. Neuroticism isn't bad. I mean, yeah. it's, it's sort of an un- unpleasant name for the tendency towards negative thoughts, but mine is like zero. Yeah. like every idea is fine I'm not worried I'm ready to just like think about it figure it out it. let's go for it yeah and to me those are very that puts a lot of distance between me and some of my people and there's a third one which I think is a really big one in startup land which is conscientiousness mm-hmm. startup founders are not 100% conscientious and they're not zero we were just talking yeah. about this before we started they're like in the 60s enough to get to the next phase yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. once it's like mostly right they're done yeah well, that won't work for, like, the big account. Like, there's got to be someone who gets it perfect before it gets handed in. And so these are three patterns in my own behavior that I know don't work with all people around me. But I also know they're the reason I'm on the field and I'm in the team. And, yeah. and part of why this team is on its way to the championship, you know? Yeah. And that's a tough realization. And it sounds like you've had some experiences, too, where you're, like, dealing with people where you're not on the same page. You know you oh need God. to be yeah. there. You also know they need to be there, but you just don't know it never goes away, right? Like perceptibly
1: we're like a culture based company, right? And we need to get that right. We don't always get it right. In fact, we have more debacles than I'd like to admit. But um, again, like I think people are complex, right? And I think when you see the data around it, it you can see why, but it's, it's hard to integrate that as a pattern any everyday work life. Like, you're not know, gonna sit with a spreadsheet and assess, like, are you open or conscious enough for me to have this conversation with you? Is it a good use of our time? But I think our challenge has been that we're well on our way to solving is bringing this toy, quote unquote, and living between a toy and a tool at both ends of the spectrum. Because people don't wanna use this toys that are not um, after to your productivity. Mm-hmm. But if it's too much of a tool, then it feels like work. So I think that's sort of the spectrum of channel we're going to solve, like bringing you to a meeting, like integrating with the calendar and giving you insight before meeting on how you, do, how you should run this effectively, mm-hmm. given the nature of the audience in the room, things like that. But uh, what you mentioned earlier, we've seen a lot of that evidence in our data, mm-hmm. um, which is like we recently did an analysis of founders versus venture capitalists. There are some common traits, mm-hmm. which is why they can have um, um, seemingly uh, similar conversations uh, in a room, but there are some things that are just very different right where one group is looking to solve for every variable in a formula the other group is looking to like identify the critical path to the next phase
0: totally totally this is one of my favorite ones too right like I was just with somebody who ran a company that we bought and now he's a venture capitalist yeah I'm like how's it going you've been doing it for a year and his summary is I hate it and I'm like I can see why because you used to live in the house of yes and and now you're Dr. No yeah venture people say no 99 times for every one they say yes entrepreneurs say yes 99 times for every one time they hit a no. they're like yes 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 and there's no's everywhere but they're like yes 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 yes, yes. they're fine every they love everything yeah but but here's the
1: thing though right like i think there's a common thread there um from my experience and this is an anecdotal some of the most um i guess successful vcs with the highest returns tend to be ones that are also open to new ideas it doesn't mean that they're just like you know, investing in anything and everything and just like spreading it thin. But basically, if you've solved for certain variables that are non-negotiables for you, the rest is about like taking a chance in a way, right? Like if I came to you and told you, I want to narrow down communication to 140 characters, would you easily invest in my company? I'm like, I want to build an app, but that allows you to take pictures so other people can like it. You'd be like, I can already do that on Facebook but as long as some of the most baseline variables to solve is founder diligent, will they do anything it takes to succeed? Do they have the chops for it? Do they really want it as much? Are the best people I should invest in for this product? Right, Then the rest you have to leave up to chance and that's where the reward
0: lies. That would be amazing to do the typing on venture people outside in or certainly before a meeting. I mean, you're mentioning like when the tool becomes too much work, it starts to get in the way of the work you're trying to do. One place I'm sure you know about is Ray Dalio's firm, Bridgewater. Mm World's largest hedge fund, super successful. And uh, I think they still do this. They wear name cards around their neck mm-hmm. with their type on the name card. So it's not even like open an app, look, every, everybody all day, every day are, yeah. is wearing their type. I mean, have you thought about that? Yeah,
1: so actually, the you know how in Goodco we have these little things called strength cards. Mm. And those strength cards are basically your um, representation of your soft skills. So you could be a mix between Lady Gaga, Kanye West, and Steve Jobs. And that comes with a certain set of traits. I noticed when I was at Rackspace once, the CEO of one of our first founders, in, uh, f- first investors in Kitco. I was walking around there and everybody's running these name cards where they're taking the finder test and basically I noticed that these patterns that are emerged that anytime you go to someone's cubicle to have a conversation, you immediately look at their card or you're getting into a meeting and immediately look at a card because you're now creating a mental map for how I should have this conversation. Like, wait, wouldn't it be amazing if I just already knew that before I walked in the meeting? So in some ways, this is like finder on steroids. Totally. Um, where it's like in your palm and you can look it up and sort of assets, it also gives you tips. If you're talking to someone who's more about the blue sky ideas, like stick to those things and don't go too much into details. Or someone who's different, this is how you should have this conversation. So it was like the Strengths card was really inspired by looking at people wearing those
0: strengths finder badges around their neck at Rackspace. Amazing, amazing. I mean, we've tried to take a lesson from that. We do something with our people in their first week or two at the company they're supposed to write a user manual and the user manual is like, how do I like to work? You know, how mm-hmm. should you reach me? What are my rhythms, stuff like that? I don't think we're really looking at them. We may need to go a lot more than just write one and yeah, like print it on a necklace or whatever. Yeah, so can sometimes see those tactile things really help. Mm.
1: Like some of our clients actually want a printable PDF of the card. For example, in the recruiting process, even though we've built all the sophisticated stuff that allows you to compare 100 candidates and their personalities and attitudes and motivations and traits with each other, And it's pretty sophisticated, right? But sometimes you just want a PDF report because it's a lot more usable because as a recruiter, as a recruiter, I want to hand off to my manager, this person you're interviewing here, it's a 10 page personality profile, right? So sometimes those tactile things really, really help because at the end of the day, just because you build cool technology doesn't mean people will use it to change the world. You have to fit people's workflow. It's like, I think it was Galileo that said that, he just came out and said that the earth was flat and nobody believed him and he died poor, hungry and alone in prison. But if you had come on and started with like... He said it was round. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, it was round, <laughs> sorry. He said it was round. But if you had come on and said that I noticed a bit of a curvature,
0: we should test it. He probably would have brought people along on the
1: journey much more effectively.
0: Oh, that's you're Right. So you tell people the truth in order to help show them a better way. Not to just drop the truth like a bomb. Yeah, place. exactly.
1: It, it needs to fit your workflow. point. This is what we're seeing in large enterprises too. Like... There's a reason why old traditional assessment companies are still so rooted in large organizations because they're so rooted in their workflow. And I think that's sort of the next challenge for founders, right, just because you've built the technology, you have to make sure it fits your audience and how they like to use it. So
0: we spent on, yeah. So the problems of a bigger company, this is an interesting puzzle and it's something that I'm working on now, right? Like you started a small space and you can choose all the people. If they don't work out, they gotta go and survival is on the line. But then after a little while, there start to be lots of jobs to do and you start recognizing if you're at all sane that you can't do them yourself, different people that you need to come to do them. You start thinking, man, if I'm going to build a big company, I won't ever only be able to find clones of myself. I got to build some kind of system that can accommodate yeah. lots of different kinds of people, right? And I suppose you went through this. Yeah, we did. And, you know, like,
1: there's always problems. They just change. And something interesting you said earlier that got me thinking, it's, it's not, like, the worst thing I think... We could do is like find clones of us. I think we should focus on finding flavors of more and flavors of Samar, people that complement your strengths and your weaknesses. I think the best teams come together not because people understand each other's strengths, but people recognize each other's weaknesses and have empathy towards them, and then they won't let you do things that you're not great at, right? And I think if we just focus on utilizing the strengths effectively, we also over time overcome our weaknesses. So some of the challenges we still have is. And you mentioned something really interesting earlier it's not just the bad managers get bad reviews it's like good managers get bad reviews maybe because they made a wrong hiring decision or they don't know how to motivate that employer the employee doesn't have motivation or is in the wrong career Um, and i don't think there's one data point that speaks to the extrapolation of you and who you are but there is multiple data points i think so we would never say that you shouldn't rely on someone's hard skills to hire them, but it's really about fit and how you fit with the team, not just the overall company culture. So it's about people complementing each other, not about being cookie cutter clones of each
0: other in some ways. This is a huge puzzle that I've been thinking about for ages. I used to get really tough reviews and probably my average reviews were not great. So on the whole, I was getting tough reviews from my people. And the consensus of the people who reported to me was like, yo, you have to change. You need to change, you need to change, you need to change. Year one, year two, year three of no talent, And over the last year, two big things happened. Mm-hmm. This year I looked at all my upward stuff, and actually the numbers are amazing. I think i am it's the best anyone's ever, my own quantitative result, and it's a lot better than many of my managers, not all of them, there's a lot that are super high scoring, and there's something to get from them. But that story of the numbers changing is, did I change? Because I did. I put a huge effort into changing over the last year, or did the people who report to me change? It's definitely the case that a year ago at this time, when my last round Mm of reviews were happening, there were a bunch of people in the company that were struggling mightily. Mm. Now when I look across the map, I see people who are doing very well. These are people who perhaps took over a role that someone had a year ago. The team has expanded, it's gotten stronger, we're attracting better people. And somehow, people who don't need any help, so to speak, people who are just kicking ass, these people are very happy in their role and they're willing to Mm -hmm. give me credit for it even though I didn't do anything. Like Maybe I changed a little bit, I don't know how much. But these two factors are at work in me seeing what has been happening on my numbers. And when I look at some other members of the team who might have some pretty tough reviews, on part of it I might see, okay, this person has a lot of behaviors that I've noticed that could change and improve. Mm-hmm. But also, this person's got some of the toughest assignments. They're going into the war zones and I'm giving them really difficult problems to solve. You can't come out of that with sc- without scars. No, that's a good point. And I think there's no, you can't, there's no rule
1: of thumb that applies to everyone, right? I think there's enough art to it as much as there is science. And the fact that you're thinking about these things and thinking about how we can be better and how I can help people in different, um, with different strengths and different roles, I think that by itself is a huge way of solving the problem um, because everything's a process. There's no such thing as a perfect culture or a perfect product. It gets better over time. But I think having that engagement or having those mechanisms for engaging with your employees and allowing them to engage with each other, and have these conversations in an authentic way. I think that's where most of the value is. Well,
0: but that's the perfect product that I hope you're going to make for me is some kind of tool to like show in high resolution those mismatches of behaviors, patterns and preferences and then provide us some kind of actionable what do we do sort of thing, right? So that's what I'm hoping. For. Two more things. Yeah. Two more things we got All right. <clears throat> One more uh, of the two is tasting the soup. Mm-hmm. So I was really to phrase. this idea. Yeah. I mean, I got it from one of my colleagues. I'm not a devotee of Dalio. I looked at his stuff, uh, and, and it turned into a book recently, but he's been publishing it as like a PDF for years. Mm-hmm. It's like his like personal system. It, it, it's called Principles, which is basically like a bunch of sentences he started writing down years ago, and it got long enough, there's like several hundred of them now, that inside mm-hmm. Bridgewater people quote them. They're like, principle number 47, number 99, number 212, whatever. And those <laughs> principles are things. One of them is tasting the soup. And one of my colleagues introduced me to this idea maybe two years ago, in the context of one of these like tough review cycles where a bunch of my colleagues are like, yo, you say that you trust me to do all this stuff and you give me this big visionary thing to go after, and then, you know, I'm working on it and okay, it's taking me a little longer than I thought it would. It's been a few months, whatever and then you're all up in my face and you're like into the details you're on page nine of the spreadsheet and you're down in the footnotes like what is going on you can't go zoomed all the way out flying around the world and then bam you're in line number 742 what's up i hate this well you're a micromanager get out of my face have you had that you know that's what's really interesting how that like
1: i was thinking about it like a work experience recently um the product that we're building right and we're like a few weeks away from launch and i test out some of the critical features of it i'm like wait it's so hard for me to build a team, and like the last few months, we've been focusing on the fifth layer of complexity and what the screen looks like. When it's like almost impossible for me to get people to that point, and why is it taking your CEO to figure out what's going on here? Like, why haven't we fixed this before you spending all this time on the fifth layer of things? Like, that's not part of a, that's not part of our critical path. And I was I started thinking about it, and I think the way, when you said it, tasting the soup, I'm like, wait, that's such a great way of telling people what my job is. It's not kicking the tires. It's not like making sure you're doing your job. And I think there is something there in euphemisms and phraseology and how you position things and how people understand them and the language you couch it in. If I position it as I'm tasting the soup, right, people are a lot more open to it. And I realize in that exercise, I try to say this a bunch of different ways, focus on usability, focus on this feature, focus on making sure the team's built, because that then leads to multiple layers of effectiveness. I realized the simplest way of actually explaining it to my product here, focus on the first 30 minutes of the experience, right? and that gave them a framework like okay well the features i want to work on right now is giving them an awesome first 30 minutes of the product totally. because for me that solves the business problem of showing
0: a demo of the Google product In the early days of google larry and sergey would go around to the product teams with a stopwatch they would sit down for the demo and start the stopwatch really if the thing wasn't fast they would stop it and walk out and that story roughly speaking is these dudes just tasting the soup they didn't want to get nine layers into the yeah. thing they don't want to see the data model they're like guys you guys are brilliant we know that yeah start Dumb. And it's, it's, like a proxy. Yeah. it's like a proxy for a lot of underlying
1: exactly. elements. It's exactly. like when they say venture capitalists, right, they all want to hang out with a hot at the bar and like if a founder is not returning your calls or is not being responsive, yes. they attribute yes. that to a lot of other variables like, oh, someone else is giving the money. Isn't another venture capitalist smarter than me? Things all like right. that. So back but when in, you were telling yeah, the truth. Back when I was telling the truth and when I got frustrated with them and I didn't respond to their calls or emails, they showed up at my doorstep like, wait, why aren't you taking our money? And it's weird how they changed the dynamic, even though I was just being like, wait, you guys are not jumping in the
0: pool. There's a ton of great stuff in Dalio, and the tasting the soup one is really good because it helped me to explain but also understand myself one of the behaviors because you can't do all the work everyone's doing. You have to trust them. You have to give them some runway to go, but you need to be able to check from time to time. Are we on the right track? You can't just disappear for a year in time. And when you have five minutes to take a look at a product and it doesn't taste right, stop the train. It's like, it's got this Absolutely. is important these are important moments because no one else is on the hook only you are you can't just be like it's okay I understand no we can't I, I want to trust you because you're fired the company's gone everybody's everyone's done yep you, you, you have I, to with you. the one thing I've realized that I want to point out is that and
1: I'm still working on getting better at it is consistency giving people a framework to help them understand where you stand. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be a sucker for usability in that 1st ten minute of the experience, always be a sucker for that. Right. Just because this person has been working really hard for the last six weeks, don't give them a break on that. Give yeah. them a break on other things. Yeah. But I think people having that mental model about what you care
0: about mm-hmm. is just as important as knowing what they should be working on. Well, you got to be nice. But yeah, this, you have on, to be nice. But on this yeah. point that you're making for me, one way I hold myself accountable is I write things down. So when I'm with someone, I publish, quote-unquote, what I said and wanted in a place where not only they see it, but their colleagues also see it. So I use a tool called Note. Somebody else might just, like, make a PowerPoint and send it to all. Maybe you send an email to the whole team, like, hey, here's the product group, here's the things I want. And the next time we meet, I start with that. So I amazing. may come back six weeks later, and I'm like, the four things I asked for, I took out my stopwatch, I did this, I tasted the soup, whatever. Let's start with those. Yeah. And if they forgot in the six weeks we were away that that was important, then shame yeah. on them. Yeah, no, on. totally.
1: And that's something that I'm with you. We use a little tool for stuff like this, where I'm like, every check-in I have, I will take like five bullet points of the things we discuss and what we're going to discuss in the next two weeks. And if those are the things that they haven't cared about when we check-in again, I'm like, dude, like that was your one thing. You have one it job. To <laughs> out,
0: right? And yeah, like, you should hold me accountable thing. for being consistent. And then when I am a consistent, exactly you got to show up. Okay, last topic, mm-hmm. uh, just so we don't go all night because we usually could just talk about ours, <laughs> is the idea of Team IQ. When we were together recently, I was talking to you about Team IQ. So Team IQ is my name for a thing that over the last year when I said I changed, that I, I was really working on it. What I was trying to work on is how to get off what had been a really hard-edged, very demanding, not understanding style of telling the truth like a bomb instead of telling yeah. the truth as a way to help someone find a better way. And so I was working on a lot. I read a lot of other people's research on this and recently I met this guy. I was in Davos and I met this fancy Mm -hmm. MIT professor. His name is uh, Sandy Pentland and he's written a bunch of books. One of them is famous. It's a really easy to read book too. It's called Social Physics. Mm -hmm. Social Physics. How people interact and work together. The laws of their behavior. And in his work and in other people's work, there's like a handful of things you can do to make teams of similar people perform better. So one over here, one over there. Change a couple things on this team, you will see it perform better. So, what were the handful of things? I want to share them with you, get yeah. some actions. First one is, if you add inexperienced and lower-skilled people to a team, the team does better. It's an argument for including outsiders. Often the insiders, I see this huge smile on your face, like, yeah. what on earth... Often the insiders will be like, "I can't put this person on the team. We can't hire a woman, an African American, yeah. a brown person, a young person, a foreign person, whatever." When you put these people on the team, the team has to listen to, let's say, dumb questions, uninformed questions, has to treat them properly, think about them, process them, and they come up with better answers. Yeah, that's amazing, dude. Like, it's funny. Like, you had you saw the big smile spawn on our face
1: because it's something that we've been dealing with the last few weeks. And like, somewhat of a realization I've come to right like san francisco is a really expensive market to hire people like i'm competing with a lot of other folks that have raised a lot of money or like google's Mm -hmm. and facebook's of the world right so either i have the money to hire someone 15 20 years of experience that have reached a level of self-awareness that is not going to let their insecurities get in the way of helping their team be successful and with someone like that i can put smart hungry even experienced people and they will outperform but if i put someone in middle management who's themselves trying to find their way, like trying to move from uh, a senior designer to a creative director, they're gonna be so insecure about moving into this new role, it's like, that's a recipe for disaster. So I need to surround them with people that are actually more capable. So to your point, like what I've noticed is that you put this group of outsiders together, they're the underdogs, and they will outperform. But the moment you put someone that's like, a better performer, but not superlative performer in that group. Like that's a recipe for disaster. Someone who's playing defense, trying to prove yeah. Them. Someone who's themselves trying to figure out what's mm-hmm. their next move or where they fit. Like because they're relying so much on mm-hmm. pixel pushing, for example, mm-hmm. that they don't know how to
0: help other people be better designers. So we. So it's interesting. With that. It's an interesting angle on the topic that's normally just called diversity and inclusion. But there are these parameters on diversity and inclusion which are surprising, and that is that allowing outsiders in can produce better performing teams. There's a couple other ones uh, about the dynamics inside a team. When Mm -hmm. new people join teams, they work better. So new blood can change a calcified dynamic in a team. Mm -hmm. And then there's a couple of patterns that that Pentland actually got just from putting mics on people and measuring how much they talk. When groups had closer to equal air time, those groups Mm -hmm. did better. So if someone monopolizes, bad. Groups that had less interrupting did better. Groups where there were sidebars where like everyone's talking mm-hmm. sometimes because they're on the sides all talking to each other work better and teams that had non-hierarchical structures basically because mm-hmm. they're doing the sidebar no one's interrupting everyone's taking turns those are better those are just things that if you were running the meeting you could just moderate the meeting totally. with that as
1: your goal It's simple rules like that, that help, right? Like psychometrics is not like rocket science. It's basically just the way we do it. Like there's thousands and thousands of insights written based on permutation combinations. If you're a certain type this way, try doing this or try doing that. And it's basically giving people guidelines and creating an environment to drive that engagement. It's like habit
0: forming more than prescriptive. So make this your next product please, app so that everyone in the meeting opens it on their phone. I'm working on it. And it counts airtime, and it tells you was it a good meeting or not meeting just based on airtime and participation. We're working on it.
1: We're integrating a calendar with the teamwork app that before you go into a meeting, it'll give everyone notification on how they should conduct themselves in the meeting given the personalities that are there. Or on a video conferencing call, when you dial in, it'll give an insight on what that group is like and how you should have the conversation with them. Amazing, boom. Yeah, cool.